podcast was made possible by Thrive AP, a transition to practice solution for PAs, NPs, and the facilities that employ them. Thrive AP's educational curriculum accelerates skill application of advanced practice providers, improving outcomes, retention, and career satisfaction. Thank you to Thrive AP for partnering with our show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. My name is Mike Asbeck, and I'm here with John McDonald. John, good morning. Morning, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm glorious. <laughs> All right. Well, today is a, a really fun and exciting topic. We are sticking with career development because we're doing these right around the time of people graduating and job hunting. We want to continue to stick with career development topics that may be relevant to new grads or even people that may be looking to switch into a different role. So, John, what are we going to be talking about today within the realm of career development? It's really everybody's favorite topic because everybody loves doing this. It's interviewing. We're going to talk about nailing the interview or preparing for your interview. And I think our goal here is, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're going to maybe do this over a course of at least two, maybe even three yes. um, episodes. So today is going to be just focused on preparing for the interview. And then next week, we'll maybe talk about how to execute. But I'm really excited because I am not an extrovert. I'm not a people person, despite your efforts to make me one. So interviewing is not necessarily something that I, I excel at. I don't enjoy it. So it'll be really interesting to hear your thoughts because I know as the the resident extrovert on this podcast, you are someone who probably excels in that interpersonal space. Interpersonal space, yes. But I still get nerves like crazy before interviewing. Um, sweaty, uh, heart palpitation sometimes. Like I get, I jazz myself up to get to my interview. And then when I get there, I continue to be jazzed. Uh, but that jazzing is a little bit too much uh, for John sometimes. So let's prepare a little bit better next time. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today, how we can best prepare and research. But I, I've got a question for you first, Mike. Uh, I want to know how you prepare for job interviews. Hmm. Do, you do you have a, a set way about it? So you know what? It's uh, to be completely honest, I am not the good person to ask here because I I think last year I had 11 or 12 different income sources. But with all of my independent consulting work, I'm not really typically interviewing. So I am trying to think off the top of my head. I can't tell you the last time I did a formal interview. I think it was sure. 2017. I was uh, I spent a year down in Texas with the military came back and then for a brief moment considered leaving my my primary work and interviewed at a couple different places. So the last time I actually did a formal interview or any type of interview prep would have been six and a half years ago. Cool. So at the time, the way that I prepared for that is I researched the company, I researched the role, I tried to figure out you know what metrics there were for performance and how my skill set or my past performance at previous roles fit those metrics. So I'm, you know, very data heavy in everything that I do. And I, I approached it that way. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And yeah. maybe before we even dive into that, because I know through the show notes, it looks like we're going to break down prep into different categories. Sure. But can you maybe give me an overview of why 
it's important to really focus on interview prep. Okay, sure. So interviewing, first of all, uh, when we get to that position, when we get to that point, uh, you actually have beat out a lot of other people to get that interview spot. So there's there's a couple data points here. So there's 20% of applicants get to the interview round. So if there was 100 applicants, uh, roughly around 20 of them might get an interview, which is still pretty heavy, I would say. Um, and 50% of the hiring managers believe that uh, the way candidate dresses, um, acts in the job interview can be grounds for elimination pretty quickly. So 50% will judge you based on how you act and how you look uh, in the interview alone. Uh, lastly, 40% of recruiters will not hire someone or a candidate who is not seemingly confident in themselves. So this, to me, gives enough reason to take this seriously because once you've gotten to the point where you got the interview, you've gone over most of your barriers. You've, you've, you've traversed your barriers that uh, might weed you out based off of experience, uh, based off of gaps in your, your previous work positions. So you kind of got the hard part out of the way. Now they kind of want to get to know you and your soft skills and maybe some more of your technical skills. I'm so fascinated by the stats that you just quoted because I think one of my takeaways from it is that in an interview, there's an incredible risk of the employer just making a snap judgment on you. Yeah. And I, I, I think back, I don't know if you ever listened to Freakonomics type of stuff, but I listened to the Freakonomics podcast in a while back. They did one where there was a study done where if you swap out the exact same resume with Western names versus more ethnic names, mm -hmm. the resumes that had more ethnic names were less likely to get callbacks or less likely to get an interview. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on my end, as someone who, you know, often is interviewing and trying to add to our team, I worry about that because I don't want to lose a great candidate just because they have a different color hair or, you know, because they maybe show up dressed in a way that is, is maybe atypical or, or different from cultural norm. So it's interesting that, you know, kind of that snap assessment makes such a big difference in from our end. We can say, hey, that's not great. We don't want that. We don't want, uh, you know, people to be making these snap judgments. But at the same time, knowing that that's happening as a candidate, I think really just adds to the importance of making sure that you're prepped, that you're showing up in a manner that you think is in line with what the company is looking to to see or expecting, but then also prepared in what answers you have or what research you've done. Yeah, I would leave the psychology of interviewing to you and to the textbooks. Uh, I don't want to get into those waters. <laughs> it's interesting, though. So th this may be a bit more of a tangent, but I'd love your thoughts on this. So if you are someone who has tattoos, and I know you do, so this is why I'm going to use this as an example. Do you cover up your tattoos for an interview? Or do you look at that and say, you know what, a company that that would discriminate against me because I have tattoos is probably not a culture, a corporate culture that I want to be a part of. And you go to the interview, you being you. And if you have tattoos showing, that's part of the culture that you're looking for. Mm. I'd love your thoughts on it because yeah. medicine, I think traditionally is a very conservative field of, uh, you know, industry. Sure. So I'd love your thoughts. Yeah. Um, whenever I interview, 
or in, in a, any sort of business situation, I always wear long sleeves. Um, the reason I chose to do that is the generate uh, some of the later generations don't see kindly sometimes on tattoos. I've actually had people make comments in the past. So it, for me, when I when I do that, it's it's to avoid distractions. It's to clean the distractions out of the air. Um, I'm not there to make a really a personality statement or political statement or any other statement other than I want the money that you're trying to give me. All right. So I want the job. Um, I do it. And that also for the customers, really, I, the customer population that I dealt with, I don't make them feel uncomfortable. So I try to maintain um, a cleaner look in the area I'm at. But to your point, Mike, culture is changing. I've had this conversation with many folks in, in a C-level and even, even some of the, the old guard have said, you know, I, uh, it's kind of gone away. Nobody really talks about that anymore. Nobody really says much. I mean, I'm sure if, if you're in the good old boys club and some legal practices, something like that, you know, it's a different, but I feel like we're moving away from that. I agree. I, I think in psych, me being in psychiatry, maybe I'm more progressive. I mean, we've hired people that have had, you know, purple hair at interviews and they ended up being incredible employees, but the rest of the company, you know, is maybe a little bit more conservative in their hiring. So I look at that and say, we, you know, may be missing out on great candidates just because they present in an atypical manner. And we should, yeah. you know, judge people based on their, their competence to do the role, not necessarily their appearance. But the flip side to it is like you just said, in medicine, I think often we're, we're catering to a population that may be older, that may be uncomfortable. And I would never want to make my patients uncomfortable if I was presenting in a way that was maybe different. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a fine balance because I want, I want everyone to be themselves. But at the same time, you know, if I'm seeing a bunch of 65 plus patients and having full sleeve tattoos or facial piercings would make them uncomfortable, then that may be a problem in the sense that medicine really is, you know, or should be patient oriented. It's a, a service oriented industry. Well, okay. So, we, I mean, let's piggyback off of that into our first point, researching the companies that you're excellent. into. Good segue. Well, because if you aren't aligned with the culture, you're not going to have a good time there. Um, and not that, not that work or a career is all about having a good time, but you want to align with the culture of the company. You don't want to feel uncomfortable. You don't want to feel um, out of place. So it makes sense that you would pick a an employer who would naturally pick you based off of what you look like, your name, your soft skills. So uh, that's where we find our best matches when we re research the company. Okay, so you've already applied this to this uh, company at this point, though. You should know what the company is about uh, to a degree. Uh, but when you get into the interview stage, you want to dive a lot deeper. So, Mike, when you have prospective employers or somebody that you're contracting with, what type of conversations do you have with current employees of that company that you might be talking to? Like, What type of questions do you ask them? So, yeah, I think, so let me give you an example. We'll go back. I don't mind talking about this example because it's seven years old. But when I interviewed with a company, so I 
like I said, I came back from my time in the military and briefly thought about leaving my practice and going somewhere else. So I had an interview set up with a community mental health clinic. And it was a really interesting position. They were looking for someone to do to oversee their um, the needle exchange and then do like opioid substance use um, treatment. Mm. And so going into it, I did a lot of research on the company. And then the questions that I had going into it were really focused on outcomes based. You know, what what percentage of patients that use the needle exchange end up converting into, you know, substance use treatment? What percentage of patients are, you know, lost to attrition? What's the, con you know, conversion rate of patients that are doing this into full-blown outpatient programs with counseling and just kind of trying to get metrics on the success of the program, trying to figure out mm. what impact the program was having on the community. So I did a lot of research on that. I did a lot of research on, you know, just needle exchanges more broadly um, walk-in clinics for substance use, you know, people that are actively using heroin and then just walking in and saying, hey, I need treatment and really focusing on access as a means for treating substance use. I did all that research, got to the interview. I was wearing a full suit and I was carrying a leather, you know, a leather folder with my CV and everything in it. And the COO of the company that interviewed me was in flip-flops and actually a shirt kind of like this, kind of like a cruise shirt. And right off the bat, I was like, ooh, this is, there's, there might be a cultural mismatch here. So interview was great, super nice guy. The, the, the practice was amazing. And I kept asking them like, oh, what metrics do you use for this? And they're like, oh, we don't really focus on metrics. Yeah. And they said, well, how do you guys ensure that your funding gets renewed? Oh, it just gets renewed. You know, no one wants to cut funding from substance use programs. I was like, so it ended up being, as we just talked about with, you know, cultural mismatch, I did all my research and I went in thinking that I was prepared for the interview, having all kinds of questions about metrics and outcome based issue, you know, um, findings and completely missed the mark on the interview because the, the practice was not focused on metrics. They were really focused on, you know, making sure that there's access, making sure that people feel safe, that they feel secure, making sure that people feel welcomed. And it made me realize that I thought I was prepared, but I was really completely unprepared because that practice had a completely different set of values or priorities because of what they were attempting to do in terms of opioid use disorder. So I think you got right to my point is we assume many things about companies that we're going to uh, maybe even ask the wrong questions when we're researching. But to give you a little bit of grace, Mike, that's what the interview is, right? We do as best a job as we can. We get to the interview. That's where we're cleaning up. We're trying to find out, like, let's let's uh, let's make sure that if I'm going to go and work for this company, I ask the honest questions now. Find out the stuff that I couldn't find out online. So, to be fair, that's exactly how it should have worked out. I think, right? And that's a great point. Is as you're doing, you know, researching the company, trying to understand the company, trying to figure out what they're about. It's not just your opportunity to say, I'm going to become a chameleon and make sure that I give all the right answers when I'm in the interview, but also to make sure that it's the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. If I had taken that job, I probably would not have been that happy because I am a metrics outcome based guy and I probably would not have played to my strengths in a role like that. 
So I think you're right. It's not just an opportunity to say, okay, what's the employer looking for? Let me make sure I say all the right things. But really, it's almost like they, you know, speed dating where you want to make sure that values align, that your skill set aligns. And the only way that you can figure that out is putting the work in so you know what questions to ask and you anticipate what questions they may ask in the interview as well. You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say speed dating, Mike. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say that it's it's as though you would go to a dating profile, see everything that that person's interested in and molding yourself around all those interests before the date. Like that's you're going to be miserable if you end up marrying that person. You don't like those things. OK, so uh, the questions that we could ask from a an employer or rather an employee of the employer which we want to work for questions like what do you find to be a more consistent message when they're talking about mission, values, and culture? What uh, mission statements or what part of the mission statements do they drive in their memos continuously? Because at that point, if you find out what's important to them, then you can take your stories and align them with that value statement. Uh, people eat that up, right? Mike, if you, at your practice, if somebody knew about the history of Dent and aligned their history with your practice and what you guys are doing, that tells a good story, right? Uh, rather than uh, never asking anything about the company and only talking about what they had done at past companies. When somebody doesn't show interest in the company, it's kind of just lays flat. I think the other thing with this is it ties into last week's conversation of whether we should always be looking for a job or not. Because once again, I want to make sure that when we're talking about career development stuff that we are at least acknowledging, you know, that a lot of these discussions are coming from a place of privilege. If you are employed and looking for a new job, then you're going to have the ability to be more picky. You're going to have the ability to try and find a job that really aligns with your values, with your interests, with your desires. If you are unemployed, then you're just looking for a job to pay the bills and pay the mortgage. So there's obviously different situations, but our hope, certainly John and I would be big advocates of this, is that if you are in a state where you are constantly passively looking for a job, then you're looking for those great opportunities. You're looking to, to find those dream jobs and then hopefully making transitions to your new roles, either you know at your a new job or even internally making changes to different roles. You're doing so from a position of strength where you're not having to take a job out of desperation, yeah. but rather moving from your existing job to a job that is just that much better. Yeah, when, you can be much more comfortable in the interview too, Mike, because uh, you're, you're playing with house money. Yeah, you're 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 not worried about your family not eating, right? Exactly. Okay, so just to wrap this section up about how to how to research a company, places that you can go and to familiar familiarize yourself with this company's products or the services, you know, Google News. Type in the company, the most recent news articles to see what other people are saying with the business, see what the business is saying with themselves. Um, maybe they're publicly traded. Look at their financials. Is it pharma? You need to be looking at their pipeline. Look at their investigative drugs. Look at their success, uh, the success in their drugs. Uh, are there press releases? Are there financial statements from their minutes? Because these are all things that would be great information depending on what business you're going into knowing the most about the company so that when you do talk to the manager, they understand that you know what you're getting into. 
that you've seen the f- the future the forecast for the company, you've seen past issues or past successes, and you're riding that um, line with them. Yeah, I think Glassdoor is a great option as well as we're talking about this because there's a lot of anonymous employee reviews. So I think it's always good to check out Glassdoor or go online and see what kind of employee reviews there are. If it's a smaller practice, obviously healthcare is becoming more corporate. So we continue to talk about this within the lens of big corporations or even publicly traded companies. And I think more and more, these are the people that are employing us as healthcare professionals. But if you are in a situation where maybe you are looking at, you know, joining a small practice or a small partnership, I think it's still important to do due diligence. It just may look a little bit different if it's not a publicly traded company or not a company that has a robust amount of news coverage or things like that. But there's still ample opportunity. If you're in a small rural town and you're looking to join a, a physician practice that maybe has one or two providers, it's not a bad thing to ask around. Maybe if it's a specialty practice, go ask a couple primary care offices what their relationship and experience has been with that office. Talk to people that are having regular professional interactions with that employer because they may be able to give you some good insight. The other thing that I always like to do is I like to talk to drug reps, Mm -hmm. of course, because that's kind of what I do. But very often the drug reps that are going into these offices, they have so much insight into how the office is run. They have insight into whether the practice is confident now, granted, they may be jaded, you know, so they, they may come at it in, an, in a biased way because they may view it as a bad office if it's just not prescribing their product. But if you have relationships with drug reps or pharmaceutical industry members that are having interaction with some small private practice, that's another way that you can get some insider info. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect. I, I think that, I mean, it's fair to say when you're going to look for a job, make sure you research the company very well Mm -hmm. um we should use our our experiences and our skills as healthcare practitioners too when you evaluate literature i I don't know about you mike but when we're looking for biases and we're looking for um comparative information you really scour um to try and get any bit of information we should just use that same skill set uh in researching our our future employers completely agree so moving forward though uh we've now looked at the company themselves, now let's evaluate ourselves, okay? Something that I find helpful for me uh, in the section that we're coming into in self-reflection and gathering information about yourself is I've created lists that I keep and try to maintain of accomplishments, just a huge knock list of things that I think might align with a future company so that when I do find that company, and I'm looking through the job profile, I can pick out the accomplishments to put in my CV or maybe even to put into uh, conversation points with this uh, with this interview or the hiring manager so that I am accurately matching what I actually have done with this um, potential position. So I don't, I, I don't know if you have from when we last talked, Mike, about CVs and trying to adjust them, we try to keep it at like four or five points for each position. Do you have like a backlog of different accomplishments that you might plug into those positions based on what you might be going for? Or if you don't, a suggestion. Yeah, no, I think we talked about it in the industry 
or the consulting podcast. But for a while, I did maintain two different CVs because I had one that included all my industry work and then one that did not. Because some jobs or some roles may not see work with the pharmaceutical industry as a value or as an asset. So not necessarily that I was trying to hide it, but I had a CV that emphasized all the consulting work that I did there were another one that was more focused on academic accomplishments, publications, things like that. Now, currently, I've, I've kind of just consolidated everything into one because I don't think I'm really able to hide that I'm an industry guy. I mean, about half my income comes from it. So it's yeah. it's just who I am. And, you know, I'm probably not any no longer suited for roles that may look at industry work negatively. Sure. But for a while, I did do that. And I think it is important from that perspective to just continue to always have an ever evolving resume or CV and to tweak it for individual jobs. Because like you said, certain jobs may value different things. So we never want to just think of our CV as being a standard boilerplate thing, just as our cover letters should be individualized to the jobs that we're pursuing. And within this, as we're preparing for an interview, it's no different. We need to self-assess our skills, but then also think about what what skills should we emphasize or highlight yeah. and what skills we maybe want to minimize, not yeah. necessarily that they're negatives, but things that the potential employer may not value as much. Yeah, we want to choose things that are helpful, that it's that simple. What's going to be helpful? If you're questioning it, ask yourself, is this going to be helpful? Be honest. So the reason why we even do the self-reflection and gathering the information about yourself is to traverse the most difficult part of the interview from my perspective is the questions, the behavioral interview questions. Uh, I really hate them, Mike. I'm not going to lie. Okay. If any potential uh, <laughs> uh, employers out there listening or anybody else I might be working with, I, I'm sorry. I just hate these questions. Tell me about a time. I do. I think but, they're dumb. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but it, but really, I've done enough research on interviewing uh, that the behavioral type. There is so much research that go that went into choosing this type of interviewing because you don't have a lot of time to get to know somebody. So it really makes sense that you would use these. It's just very uncomfortable, lunky, uh, just awkward, right? So. When we're looking at gathering our information, it really should be to the point of answering those behavioral type questions. Have stories lined up already. You can use the same stories for different interviews as well because you just have to find that common line underneath your story that connects to the question that they're asking. Okay. I've got an example for you. Okay. So... 12 years ago, I'm, I feel like I'm getting old, but 12 years ago when I first interviewed here at Dent, it was a panel interview. So it was the head of HR and then two or three other people, I think maybe the clinic manager and, you know, very intimidating situation. I was young, I was dumb and they were just peppering me with questions. But one of the questions they asked is, you know, how can we feel confident investing in you or you know what assurances can you give that you are willing to stay as a new grad long enough to justify the time and investment of training you or something along those lines and just off the cuff i i was you know poorly prepared in the sense that now looking back i could have done way more to be ready for the interview but off the cuff i talked about how my dad has been at the exact same company since he graduated from college and he has been there for you know 30 plus years 
and that I really look up to that and I value that because I think he has become such a subject matter expert within his role because he is not someone who has jumped around from job to job. And certainly there may be loss of income or opportunity there. And we've talked about that in previous episodes that jumping from job to job may actually be better. But the longevity that he had at his job allowed him to really gain an expertise. And I talked about how I really valued that, that my goal was to become a subject matter expert. I wanted to be the very best that I could be in my craft. And now 12 years later, I'm, you know, 11 years later, I'm still here. But after I got hired, they told me, the HR manager uh, told me that that was a really, really compelling answer that gave him a lot of confidence that hiring a new grad that I was you know, going to stick around for a while that I wasn't going to get trained and then bail. Mm -hmm. And I didn't prepare it. It was just an off the cuff thing. But I think those are the types of behavioral questions where if you have some anticipation of what they may ask, the stories that you weave in, the answers that you give don't have to be canned or, you know, corny, but they really can make a difference. Yeah. I, I went through the Dale Carnegie courses. Uh, one of the points that is reiterated over and over and over again is do not give canned responses. Mm -hmm. Have a good outline in your mind of what you want to say and then let the storytelling start. So that's where we help the interviewer with connecting the dots. I think that's a great answer, Mike. I, there's a lot of information, a lot of um, guidance in interviews to say, stay out of the personal space. Uh, but that answer, I feel it shows... Uh, soft skills it shows personality um it shows that you're a family man too it shows a lot of small things without you having to say it right completely unintentionally on it yeah which is which is great so you showed authenticity instead of freezing a lot of us would freeze okay so our job is to tell the story to the interviewer using our past experiences we are guiding the interviewer through our story so we, we want to match our skills and experiences with the job requirements. Uh, we want concise and impactful statements that highlight the qualifications and how we might contribute to the company's success. Uh, this is one point I really want to drive home, Mike, if we don't do anything else today. If anybody listening gets one thing out of today, it's about your first statement when they ask you, Tell me about yourself. Okay. When they're asking, tell me about yourself, do not start at the very beginning. Start at the beginning of your career. I was born. Yeah. Uh, how many times have people told me where they went to high school, where they grew up, like things they're interested in? It's, no, that's not the point of what's happening here. You should, this is something that um, I was taught recently uh, from a career coach. It's, Two minutes. You should have a two-minute elevator speech about yourself. It shouldn't sound canned, but it should show your passion. Um, and it should show a story in the sense of, this is where I was. And then there was a moment where something clicked. And that brought my my story to this place. And this is why I'm excited. Because everybody wants to hear, hear a narrative. And... Let's be very clear and honest with ourselves. We People are boring in interviews sometimes because they're scared. They want to keep it low key. 
uh, and chill, but they're sweating and shaking, uh, it can be really boring. So practice by giving a narrative. And this is where it might be weird, but recording yourself, giving this two minute speech, set a timer over and over and over and over again until it is clean enough where you know and you're excited and you believe your own story as well. Um, I had to practice this over and over again, Mike, until I finally got to the point where I just gave the information necessary and not embellish too much and not go on a rabbit trail. Okay. I think this is a great one. We talked about not having canned answers and certainly you don't want it to feel canned, but a question like tell, tell us about yourself is probably, you know, there's probably a 70 to 80% chance that that question is going to be in any interview that you do. So like you said, having, I think at least some intentionality of here's my narrative, here's the things I'm going to talk about. Here's my two minute elevator pitch so that you're not completely caught off guard. I think that's the key. Not have it be canned, but at least have some preparation for, I'm going to focus on this, then this, and then this. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to give you an example of what, I'm going to make it up. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. So I'm going to make up an example mixed from different people's jobs and what they've done in the past. Okay. So if somebody was to ask me, tell me about yourself, I might totally fudge this up, Mike. So bear with me. So I started as a pharmacist in 2013. When I left school, I became a manager at a major retail organization. Uh, I had practiced pharmacy for many years before that, thought I knew it was going to be, but finally when the difficult times came, had some very tough experiences with employees and uh, potential future interests not really coming to fruition, I got to a really low point and I thought, you know what, maybe I'm just going to leave pharmacy altogether and go into sales. However, I got somebody took a chance on me as another employer and got the job of my dreams, um, became clinically focused, uh, was able to be involved in a lot of research and started organizational management, uh, taught some other students, uh, took some residents on myself and really gained the expertise that I needed in that position. Specifically, I did XYZ at that company. And that is what brought me to your company. I've seen what you've done here, here, and here, and I'm really excited about injecting my personality and my experience in your business and in corporation in order to drive success for you as well. I like it. It's all you need to say. Yep. I think it's a, it's a great example where any question they give, you want to try and pivot it to an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you know the 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 old trope I think is, oh, what's your greatest weakness? And you know the questions that they always ask, and then. I think the the answer that we give when we're 18 and interviewing, you know, at a college interview is my greatest weakness is that I work too hard or that I care too much. I care too much. Yeah, right. But I think it's a great example, though, that, you know, if someone says in a job interview, what's your greatest weakness? You know, on my end, maybe I would talk about that I continue to try and uh, grow as a relational leader. I'm I'm very task oriented. And when I'm in leadership roles, I think it doesn't come naturally for me to connect with people or really humanize leadership. So that's something that I'm always really focused on in trying to make sure that I'm growing because I know it's a weakness of mine. It's, I know it's something that I have to um, facilitate because it doesn't come naturally to me. But I would use that response as a pivot to, and here's how I am continuing to grow in that role, try and show it as an opportunity. 
But John, I'd love to, while we're maybe starting to butt up on time, you have in the show notes some discussion of the STAR method. Now, I'm actually not familiar with the STAR method, so I'd love to have you go through that. And then for listeners, as always, these educational episodes, John creates just an incredible amount of resource through the show notes, which can be found on our website, whitecoatsoftheroundtable.com. So if you want to dive deeper into this, definitely go check out the website and the show notes. But John, I'd love to hear about the STAR method. Yeah, the STAR method is just a way to respond that gives a consistent, concise answer to anything that you're trying to relate to the prospective employer. Okay, so the STAR method is used to structure answers, and it stands for situation, the task, the task, the action, and the result. This way, you don't run on bunny trails and that you give a very concise answer, which should reflect, because when your boss gives you a task or a question, they don't want you rambling. They want the answer. So let's give them a little taste of what we could be like as an employee using the STAR method. So for example, if they asked you, I've got some behavioral questions up here. Uh, Mike, how do, you, how do you see the future of healthcare? Let's use the STAR method to answer that really quick. You can't. It's not a behavioral type question. Don't do that, guys. That was a trick question. <laughs> okay, so um, sure, I was sweating. I, didn't I know. know how to I know. So this is what we're going to say. I this because this is one of my most hated and feared questions. Tell me about a time where you disagreed with your boss and how did you handle that situation? Let's use the star method to do this. Now make it up if you need to, Mike. It's okay. Um, but was there ever a time that you that you disagreed with your boss and can use the star method to answer that or should i just make something up because i could do that well let me let me actually walk through it i'm not going to give a specific situation exactly actually try and discuss well i'm even going to go more broad than that i'm going to talk about how i would approach that response even better so if i'm using the star method the way that i would approach a question regarding a disagreement with a former boss would be i would describe the situation and I would try and do so in a manner that's as brief as possible. I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time because I don't want to focus on discord, you know, areas where I was at odds with my boss. Mm -hmm. I would then briefly discuss the task. So what was the thing? You know, we had a disagreement. What was the task or what was the action item there or the, the thing? And then move to how this was resolved. So the action item would be how did my boss and I come to resolution? What did we do? Did we sit down and talk it through? Did we bring in a third party? If it was a clinical discussion, did we defer to the medical director? I would talk about what the action was. And probably in a situation like this, if it's a disagreement with my boss, I would focus on the collaborative nature of the agreement or of the solution. And then I would switch to the result, talk about how that outcome occurred. So if there was a disagreement, we found an action to resolve it. And then I would briefly discuss what that resolution looked like. We were you know, able to sing Kumbaya and move on with everything. Mm -hmm. So I would make sure, though, within that, I would really focus my attention and my response to the action yeah. because that's the resolution. That's the item of this is where we're improving things. This is where we're resolving conflict. I would give an overview of the disagreement with the situation or with the task. But I would want to make sure that I'm not highlighting or spending too much time talking about conflict. Mm. I would want to talk about the action to resolve that conflict. Yeah, it, per, I, I think that's great. That's that's the type of answer that I would have liked to have heard. 
because a lot of people will focus on the negative uh, connotation or the negative uh, part of the story with whatever that disagreement was with the employer because people think that's compelling. But what they're looking for is, did you have a global understanding? Did you have interpersonal savvy? Um, do you have situational awareness? Uh, because maybe at that time, because for, for me, say I was in a meeting with somebody with my boss and a client and my boss undercut me and I felt like this was part of my project and you just totally took the reins and made me look stupid in front of the client. Um, the task at hand was to make sure that the client was satisfied. So what was the client satisfied? Okay, perfect. What was the action? Really, uh, we need to figure out Am I maintaining interpersonal relationships in the company that I'm working in? So maybe the task at hand was I went to their office afterwards, laid out the situation, told them how I viewed the situation to get understanding. And then, like you said, kumbaya, work that out. Um, you want to show them in your answer that you're aligning with their values and principles. Now, we don't need to go too much further into how to answer these questions, Mike. I don't, I don't think, I think it really does come with preparation and researching the company and understanding yourself well enough. If you can do those three things, you really hardly have to do a lot of research or work prior to the interview. Just know yourself, right? Isn't that what psychology is? Know thyself. I like it. Okay. So I think that's a good end point. And like we said earlier, we're probably going to dip back into this next week. I don't want to fully commit to it because there's always opportunities for us to find something interesting or different. But I think next week we're going to talk about interviews a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And maybe, John, within that, I'd love to, to use next week to talk about within an interview, how do you maybe handle specific questions like salary expectations and yep. get down to the nitty gritty of those specific questions that always seem to pop up. But I'd love to transition over to personal items as we always do. We like to finish with some personal items because healthcare is all consuming and we want to retain our humanity. So, John, what do you've got? You're going to have to bear with me. And anybody listening here wondering if I'm a conspiracy theorist, I am not. I'm to be clear, I am not. But I have gone down the rabbit hole of all this alien stuff recently. Oh boy! With the Department of uh, of Defense and the White House and NASA. Now again. Not necessarily a hobby type thing, but I've never believed in that stuff. But with this stuff, I'm interested. I'm at least interested at this point because there's supposed to be some big press release at the end of the summer. So I'm like, um, I'm like that gaggle of people, you know, just waiting for the next Gossip Girl um, episode to come out. Okay, just waiting for the end of summer. That's it. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So I think uh, for once, I am. I think you did that intentionally because I keep riffing off your personal item and that's one. I knew you would rip off talk of, about yeah. aliens. I just knew it. That's true. Right. So I think I'm going to talk about summer cooking. So I love the weather's great. And yeah. my family has a tradition where once a week we have pizza night at my parents' house. And thankfully, the, the older I get, the more I consider it to be a blessing that most of my family is all local. So once a week, we all get together and we have pizza we have beers, we just relax, hang out. In the warmer weather, we'll have a fire. And it's a really wonderful tradition. And I love it because growing up, every Sunday after church, we would go to my grandparents' house and we would have Sunday dinner. 
So the fact that we've able, been able to retain some level of that where just once a week there's this family gathering where we all get together and break bread is really great. But this week, it finally got warm enough that we, my dad, we bought him a couple of years ago a wood-fired pizza oven. Um, and it's the Uni. So yeah. not a sponsorship, but feel free to sponsor us. <laughs> and it's a pellet wood-fired pizza oven. And there is just, oh, the flavor of wood-fired pizza and getting that crust all crispy on the stone. It's just wonderful. But then also there's such an art to it. It's almost like grilling where the pellets you have to put in just enough. If you put in too much, it'll burn the top of the pizza because the flames get too high. If you don't put in enough, then the stone doesn't get hot and the crust will get doughy and not be crisp. So there's there's this like very fine line that you have to you know keep on to make sure that the pizza comes out perfect. But when you get all the variables just perfectly, and the pizza has those little brown flame marks on it, and the crust is just perfectly crisp. There's nothing better. Can we sitting can on we the back porch eating? Oh, bring up um, cup and curl pepperonis. I don't think many people. Yeah, right. I, is that a Western New York thing? I, I I'm not sure if it is, but you got to have the cup and curl because then the grease sits yep. in there and then makes it more delicious. Thick but, pepperoni. But I have yeah. to uh, uh, just so everybody understands, Mike's not just blowing smoke here. His dad makes great pizza. Yes, John's come to pizza night. So I've come to pizza night. It's uh, and that's the fun thing about it. It's a kind of a family gathering point where it's it's we always collect some strays. We always have some random cousin right. or person that's in town. So yep, yeah, you're a stray, John. That's okay. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody for for sticking with us this week. I know the career development stuff can sometimes be maybe a little bit drier, but I think it's such an important topic, and I really am appreciative, John, of you putting all the work in and making all these resources. My hope is that as we continue to do this, we're going to just be able to build out these incredible resources that are all readily accessible and available for our listeners as they're continuing to find fulfillment and meaning in their career. Until next week, this is John and Mike from White Coats the Round Table. If you like what you hear, certainly consider subscribing, liking us, leaving us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Until next week, John, good to see you.